Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I am Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and more. I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael, and we can also be found at Skewed and Reviewed, the magazine, which is available at Barnes & Noble and various outlets. We have our newest issue available right now. And um, we also can be found at canalcentral.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of newspapers. It's like uh, 10 newspapers in 21 markets where we do our game reviews. You can catch us on Sci-Fi Radio. And we also appear in BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM radio simulcast on our page so i am just back from a few days uh, covering knott's berry farm and a couple days at disneyland and so uh definitely worn down a lot of stuff going on but we're back ready to go hardcore into the news of the week and uh getting ready for san diego comic-con we can now announce that our upcoming video games not to be missed panel will be taking place on Saturday at 11 o'clock at San Diego Comic-Con, and we are going to be in the, um, uh, what do you call it? We are going to be in the uh, Omni Hotel, our Omni Grand Ballroom DE on the fourth floor at 11 o'clock, so we have a lot of uh, great stuff to discuss, talking about some upcoming games and more. So, uh Hitting the ground running, let's talk about the continued struggles of the box office as it appears that Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is continuing not to meet expectations. Some people had thought it might have another good week at the box office before the new Mission Impossible uh, opens, but uh, all the latest tracking is that Insidious the Red Door is... Uh, massively outperforming it. it it was almost two to one on friday uh outperforming it and so uh you know it, it begs the question again of so many large budget event films are not performing but yet horror films continue to do well and yes i know they have the advantage of a far uh lower budget that being said it is interesting it is a not, I mean, this whole argument of, well, people aren't ready to go back to the movies doesn't seem to fly. They do go back to the movies. The problem is it seems like for once they're not moving toward the big event films, which ironically, once theaters started to open again, it was the big event films only that were drawing people. Justin, start us off. What do you make of this? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um it's very interesting because it, it doesn't really seem like it follows any rhyme or reason. Um, it, you would think that a, a movie like Indiana Jones would do very well. Obviously, uh, it has a lot of name recognition, huge star power, um, large budget. But like you pointed out, it's it's uh, it seems like the only movies that that seem to do consistently really well are horror movies. Um, you know, I, I I guess maybe not the only types of movies, but horror movies do seem to be a safer bet. Uh, and like you pointed out, lower budget, so the bar to reach for success is a little bit lower for them. But 
nevertheless, you would think that a movie like Indiana Jones would do well. And there have been big event movies uh, peppered here and there that have done very well, like Avatar um, and uh, the most recent Spider-Man movie, for instance. But I don't know. I think uh, a huge part of this is um, I I think that there is a quality aspect. Um, You know, word of mouth is always extremely important. And I don't really think that the excuse for uh, people not being ready to come back to the movies because of COVID, I don't really think that flies anymore. Um, I, I just, there's just not enough people that really are thinking about that as much uh, in that setting. So I don't think that that's really much of a factor. Um, my guess is that a lot of the word of mouth just wasn't as positive for this movie. Um, you know, it doesn't help either that the previous movie also did not uh, do very well either so I think there is a momentum aspect of, of film franchises where people you know regular moviegoers they hear okay well there's another Indiana Jones movie coming out uh, the last one I didn't like it so much you know I'll wait I'll wait and see what my friends and my co-workers say about this one before I you know go go into the, the, the box office to go see this one so I think maybe that's an aspect as well that um, you know it from, from what I heard, and I haven't seen it, but from what I heard, um, you know, a little bit of mixed reception from, from some folks. So some people thought, you know, maybe a little bit better than the last one, maybe just about the same quality. Um, so it, I think that's an aspect too. But it's, it's, it's definitely a struggle for a lot of these larger companies because there has been a little bit of signs of some superhero fatigue as well. So it's... Uh, it's an interesting conundrum that they're they're running into you know uh obviously i think a lot of the larger studios want big huge billion dollar movies that do you know close to a billion dollars at the box office um and they if you look at the budgeting uh if you're if you're spending a north of 300 million dollars then then you really want to be well north of 600 million dollars at the box office um, in order to, to break even. So, uh, it's just one of those things where, um, when you're looking at your portfolio for what's a safe bet, um, that's something that they're going to have to revisit now because it doesn't really seem like just a big franchise film is a safe bet. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, your take, please. Yeah. So I think I read something fairly interesting that Indiana Jones appealed more to the Gen X crowd and didn't draw in the younger audience. Now, if you think about Crystal Skull came out 15 years ago, um, so a lot of the kids in high school today or early college were probably not going to the movies when they were four or five years old, right? And I just think that Indiana Jones, because of the time that's gone by, maybe just doesn't hold the same nostalgia that it does for a lot of the Gen Xers and, and that type of folks. And you have to remember Crystal Skull, you know, I thought that Dial Destiny was better than Crystal Skull, but it reviewed worse from what I saw, at least what I saw last. Um, and again, that was, you know, you know, Last Crusade came out in 1989. Everybody kind of thought that was the last of the Indiana Jones movies. Um, and then we got Crystal Skull, which, you know, was not well-liked necessarily by Gen Xers and, and didn't draw necessarily a, a new audience. So I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the people that are going to see it are not the biggest um, 
aren't the biggest makeup now of folks who go to movies. Um, that whereas things like horror movies tend to appeal to a younger audience, high school aged, uh, college aged. Um, that's not to say it doesn't appeal to older people because you know my wife and I love to go to the horror movies as well. But generally speaking, that draws in a younger crowd and it does not have to have the same um, sort of box office uh, earnings to make, a, to make a profit like a bigger tentpole one does. You know, I think a lot of people are seeing um, Harrison Ford as older. I think the action movie, the, the type of movie that was popular when Raiders came out, um, isn't really what's popular these days. You know, I think a lot of the act, that action type of movie just really doesn't necessarily hold the same appeal to the younger audiences that it used to. Now, what we have seen in the past is these things kind of wax and wane. Kind of like we talked about, I think, last week or a couple weeks ago with the superhero movies, where those got started to rise in popularity when the Michael Keaton Batman came out. Um, there were a lot of not-as-great superhero movies that came out, and then those pretty much died off for you know a decade until we started to see Iron Man and we started to see the Marvel movies. And I expect that's going to happen with the superhero movies, too. I expect that not necessarily going to get bad, but I think that the fatigue's getting we're going to wear out we're going to see those dip off and something else is going to take its place. So yeah, I just, unfortunately just don't think um, Indiana Jones and, and that sort of type of movie just holds up to younger audiences right now. And if you can't get the younger audiences to come and see those movies, then that demographic is again, one of the bigger ones that are showing going to see movies, you know, Gen Xers and, and people a lot less likely. I know myself to go out to go to a movie a Friday night at 10 o'clock um, come home and go to bed at midnight, right? A lot of us are working full-time during the day. We're not uh, as young as we used to be about staying late, out late at night. Um, so we're more apt to say, well, you know, let's wait for streaming or something like that. So I, I think it is a lot of a lot of those things. And I, and I just think that type of movie just isn't selling right now. And I think, again, maybe that will change and we'll, we'll see a, a renaissance with those types of movies, you know, in a couple of years. But I think right now that's just where we're at. Um, it's really unfortunate because, again, um, this will be the last Indiana Jones movie with Harrison Ford in it for sure. Um, and I don't know if this movie's necessarily going to draw in a new audience to new Indiana Jones um, with its inevitable release when they have a new Indiana Jones. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. It seems very odd, and I've been trying to put some kind of reason behind that because you look around – Theme parks are packed. I mean, we just came from Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm. Yes, it was 4th of July onward, but they were packed. Um, everywhere we went around town, it looked like shops were packed, both in Arizona, California. My wife was in Washington recently. There was a lot of stuff going on there. So people are out and about. So this you know, discussion about, well, they don't have money and they don't have this, that doesn't seem to apply because – Movies are still the matinees, and of course, if you take a theater that's not doing the surge pricing, and I, I think that does play a lot into it. There is uh, no you know shortage that there are certain chains who operate surge pricing where they raise the ticket prices um, for projected event movies and uh, peak times like Fourth of July. Whereas we have the Harkins chain here that has been very outspoken about they do not do that under any conditions. So, you know, 
let's just say for the most part, 10 bucks or less, you can get into a movie. So it's not as financially constraining. I mean, yes, I know if you buy the concessions and all of that, but let's just say if you're not, if you don't want the IMAX and the, you know, all the bells and whistles and you just want to see the movie, 10 bucks or less, you can usually get into a matinee. Um, so it's odd. And I think it's just a case of maybe people that they're going back out and about have so many options. And they're basically, like you said, during the last three years, they got used to watching things on television and the mentality might be, okay, um, I could go to the movies for two to three hours or I could go to the mall or I could go to the beach or I could go out or I can go and see people I haven't. And it's hard to say, but that does seem to be it. Now, one thing that was really surprising to me is that many parts of the country have been dealing with record heat. And I can understand that could possibly keep people home. But if they were out and about, you would think they would be more than happy to go to a movie theater, which would have the AC cranked up. So it's an interesting thing. And uh, I think we're going to get a real uh, indication next week when the new Mission Impossible film comes out. I've already seen it. My review is up. I really enjoyed it. The reviews have been very strong for it. And it'll be very interesting to see how people react to this one. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. But we already are starting to see several films uh, that are in the theater have started to announce their digital dates. So uh, this will be an ongoing story. And it'll be interesting, too, when the fall comes and the weather, uh, as we slide into winter and the weather gets colder, are people going to be slipping back into theaters again or are they going to be staying home? And I think it comes down to you got to show people the value. You know, what is the value of going out and seeing this in the theater now versus waiting 45 days to three months to see it at home or to get it on pay-per-view? Uh, another film that's coming up that's going to be a very topical discussion is the second part of the Dune uh, adaptation. Uh, we've already heard stories this week that part two is going to be over three hours long. And to no surprise, we've already heard that uh, Denny Villeneuve, the director, has said he would love to make a third film and he would like to adapt Dune Messiah, which, as anybody who's read it knows, it is a considerably smaller book than the original Dune, so very easily could be adapted in a two- to three-hour movie. Uh, starting with you, Michael, what do you think about this idea? I love it. I mean, I thought the new Dune, I mean... Now, you have to remember, I grew up on the original Dune, which I even like that, even though it was <laughs> a little bit uh, difficult to follow, I think. Uh, but the new one, I thought they did a fantastic job. The previews for Dune 2, or the second part of Dune, I should say, um, look outstanding. So I'm really excited for it. I do think this type of movie, for whatever reason, you know, Dune being a very old book at this point, um, still seems to draw in uh, a, a good mix of audiences, and I don't know if that's because it's new to people, uh, particularly the younger folks who aren't aware of the original, um, and it might also be that it's just got more up-and-coming stars in it, like Zendaya, for example, um, but overall, I think the first one drew in audiences pretty well, and again, this one um, looks outstanding. I like that they're making it longer, uh, because I think that it necessitates that. Um, it probably could have been made into a, a streaming series as well, 
um, given the way they do budgets these days. But I really do think it's going to do fantastic. So I would like to see the third one, um, just to see, just to see the, the take on it. You know, we, we tend to see these types of movies come out in trilogies, so it's not unusual that it's going to be a trilogy. And, and I honestly will say that the first, you know, I, I had seen the original Dune movie, but it was really um, Dune 2, the, one of the first RTS games ever made, was actually what interested me most in the storyline and the concept of Dune and really kind of brought that interest to that um, to that particular um, world for me. So, so, yeah, seeing all that come to life on the big screen in a much more relevant way, I think has been fantastic, and I'm looking forward to it. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a major Dune fan, so um, it's probably my favorite book I like ever written, and I've I've read a lot of books. Um, it's uh, I just I love it. Uh, I love the the settings like a lot, uh, and like Michael, my my introduction to it was uh was actually doing 2000 was one of the first games i ever played um and uh i i did like the lynch movie um you know i know that it has a cult following and it's it's had some mixed reception especially from people who read the book uh i ended up reading the book much later i've also seen the sci-fi mini or yeah the sci-fi miniseries that ended up adapting much more of the story um and so i i loved denny's dune it was it was an excellent adaption um structurally i do think that they're taking probably the best approach for for making it into a movie doing basically two parts of the of the of the first book um but like michael mentioned i really think the best possible medium for it would have probably been a mini series because even denny's version uh does cut out quite a bit um you know it is like you mentioned Gareth, it, it is a huge, extremely long book. Um, so even with splitting it into two movies, two relatively long movies at that, you do have to cut out quite a bit of material. Now, the material that they did end up cutting out, probably the, the stuff that they ended up cutting out makes the most sense. So that would be the stuff that you would cut out to make it into a movie. Um, and I will have to see how this one does. Um, the first one seemed to do pretty well. There was, uh, th- there was even some apprehension. They, they didn't immediately announce that they were making two movies. I remember they they didn't confirm that they were even working on part two until after the first part had come out. So that that says to me that there was a little bit of apprehension of, uh, on part of Warner Brothers as to whether you know it was going to be a worthwhile investment, which. Honestly, I mean, even as me as a huge fan of the of the series, um, I can understand that just because it is a very dense uh, setting that is kind of difficult to to get into, and there's just you know Frank Herbert um, really developed a, a very um, I guess yeah, just the word dense is uh, is the right word for it. It's it's kind of hard for some people to get into because there's so much history. Um, and so many terms and different factions and um, and politicking going on that it can be a little hard to follow and introduce people in a movie setting. So um, I'm glad that it did really well. I have thought e- even before Denny had talked about doing um, uh, 
Dune Messiah as a third movie, I thought that that, that would actually be a very good, structurally a good series because it does basically, um, like you mentioned, Gareth, that it's a much shorter book, so it could be done as one movie on its own. And if you look at basically the first book and then the second book and make a trilogy out of it, you do get a nice trilogy structure because it does uh, basically conclude Paul's story. And who knows, maybe if it does really well, if they do a third movie and it does really well, maybe they they end up you know, going further with it and making Children of Dune, which I have not read, um, or further than that. Uh, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I, I think it would be a nice structure, but at the very least, we're getting the second movie, um, so I'm really looking forward to it. It would be interesting because, uh, you know, there were some liberties taken with the first film in terms of Momoa's character getting a much larger role than he had in the book. There was, um, with the new trailer shows, uh, Fade doing the arena scene, which was cut out of the... Um, first adaptation of the actually both i believe the adaptation and the miniseries and i always thought that was a very essential scene because it helps establish his combat skills as well as a uh very nasty streak to him but nonetheless somewhat of a sense of twisted honor about it and it will be interesting the biggest problem i see with adapting children of dune or uh, any of the ones that follow God Emperor Doom, Chapter House, they become very long, uh, politically intrigued uh, based stories that relies very heavy on the backstory, the relationship between the characters. As I remember it, there was not a lot of action. And, you know, when you're reading through five, six hundred pages of a story that's all, you know, making references, and there's also a huge timely through them and so it will be interesting because at, as you mentioned um they do have the option but at the same time they've already uh started the motion on the uh sisterhood series for max streaming so it will be interesting it's you know i like anything else it will be uh based on how well the box office does and i think considering the first one did well there should be a, a pretty big um, response to it. So on the bright side, uh, we had some news this week that uh, should make Marvel fans very happy. And that is that, number one, reports from cast members and uh, the set is that the filming Deadpool 3 is indeed as hard or as ever, and it has not been watered down in any way, shape, or form under Disney. They, uh, Bob Iger had said that um, he was continuing to, uh, you know, keep the film in the vein that the originals were, and that appears to be the case. And we are also hearing a lot of rumors about alternate realities, timelines, that sort of stuff. But we've heard news that Jennifer Garner is coming back in her version of Electra. So, Justin, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I'm glad to hear that they're sticking with the R rating. Um, it doesn't shock me too much just because the previous Deadpool movies have been very successful, so there really, really wouldn't be a reason to change the formula for that. Um, I guess what su surprised me the most is bringing back uh, Jennifer Gardner as Elektra. Um, I just don't really see 
um, there being a lot of like star power nostalgia for that. I mean, it's one thing to bring back Michael Keaton as Batman or you know Tobey Maguire or um, as Spider Man um, or even Andrew Garfield as Spider Man, but um, the car or <laughs> the uh, the uh, um, Jennifer Gardner Electra is just not a a hero that um, or, or a character that I see bringing a lot of people to the movie. Uh, that said, you know, kind of interesting. Um, and I imagine it's probably not going to be the big um, uh, push to to get people to go see the movie. I, I imagine it's just probably something that they're that they're doing. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how how she folds into the movie and um, and what they do with it. Michael, your take, please. Yeah, because we all, I think Electra is one of the worst-rated superhero movies of all time, or or close to it. Um, I like Jennifer Gardner. I think a cameo with her is actually pretty interesting because I I'm sure they're going to take a very humorous approach on it. It's not going to be not meant to be a serious approach, I'm sure, given how the Deadpool movies are. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see um, if it's a cameo or how or how much of a of an impact um, that will be because it, because to Justin's point, I agree um, that movie is not probably well known to anybody after it came out. Um, uh, you know, again, just kind of like um, Ben Affleck's when he was um, Daredevil. You know, that might have even been a, a more interesting uh, cameo. But again, I think that might confuse people because they probably know Ben Affleck as Batman now. And those who are going to the movies wouldn't remember that he did a Daredevil movie, I don't think. Um, plus, Ben Affleck had a lot to say about not doing superhero movies um, after Daredevil because he, he just didn't enjoy the experience. So, yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting take for sure. Um, again, probably more of a, a spoof view of it, I imagine. I don't think it'll be a serious role um, at all in Deadpool 3, but it'll be curious to see what you know, the take on that. I'm curious if they would have enough guts to, you know how pretty much anything goes with Deadpool. And I have been wondering, would they have enough guts to roll the dice and pair her with Ben Affleck's Daredevil in a scene? And they just basically get into a good natured argument over uh, things that could be rather humorous. And I think this is probably just the tip of the iceberg because if they're going to be jumping through multiple realities and stuff like that, uh, we're going to have all sorts of possibilities. Now, that leads directly into the next topic, uh, where Benedict Cumberbatch has been teasing that he'll be slipping back into Doctor Strange uh, very soon. He was on a speaker series recently, and he was asked about upcoming projects, and he would only say that there are some Marvel capers in the making next year, but wouldn't say what. So many people think it may not be a third film, because they have not announced a third Doctor Strange movie yet. But seeing that he appeared in Spider-Man, he has appeared in Thor uh, and other films, not to mention the Avenger films, some people think that he's going to slip into something. And that, of course, has got everyone talking. I mean, they say, well, there's a couple of Avenger films coming, but those are not in the near future. They're not going to film them. In fact, we recently had heard they're pushing them back. So they're not going to be filming them now for two years from now, unless there's something up we don't know about. And some people think that there's the possibility of Captain America Brave New World 
there's been a rumor with that that Robert Downey Jr. was seen on set. And whether or not he was just dropping by to say hi or he was filming a cameo or a part, who knows. Uh, but Captain America Brave New World's already been shot. Deadpool 3 is a possibility. But there's also Thunderbolts and Blade, as well as Fantastic Four. But those are all on hold due to the writer's strike and the possibility of an actor's strike. So, <coughs> Michael, start us off. Where do you think he's showing up? <laughs> Let's not forget they're doing Loki too, right? So I mean, right. there's always the possibility that there would be something in in that. I think it will definitely be in a streaming show. I, I doubt it. I mean, it might be in a, in a full length film eventually, but I bet for this coming, if it's going to be something this coming year or in early 2024, I would be willing to bet he's going to do either a cameo or have some sort of role in one of the streaming shows that will be coming up. Now, what, which one? I don't know. That's a good, that'll be an interesting question. But I would suspect that that's where we're going to see him next, is in one of the streaming shows. Do you think it could possibly be Agatha and the Covenant of Chaos? Well, yeah, oh, absolutely. Considering that, um, spoiler alert, the uh, Scarlet Witch was obviously his main um, foe in the in the uh, Doctor Strange movie, it would make uh, absolutely sense that he would feature in that show to some degree. Yep. And uh, Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I completely agree. It's uh, I think it's likely in a streaming show. It could be another cameo in in a movie, um, but like you pointed out, there isn't really uh, any announcement of an Avengers movie or his own third movie. I do think, and if this this was this is just me, but there there seem the first huge phase all the way up through Thanos, there was Robert Downey Jr. was really kind of like the core of the team. I. I at least as far as the heroes go, I, I think, uh, I mean, that's why the movie uh, Endgame ended the way it did. Um, I think it was clear that as far as the star powers go, um, I think that he was the main the main focal point for um, the Marvel movies up to that point. And I'm going to be honest, if, if I had to pick a, a character um, to succeed him, I would probably pick Doctor Strange. I think that Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange is, is very um I think he does an extremely good job with that role. Um and yeah, he's definitely not as popular as Iron Man, but I think of of all of the characters that they have, I think he's probably the strongest. Um Tom Holland's Spider-Man as well, also very good, but um I think if you're going to have somebody who's going to be kind of like the team leader, kind of character who kind of goes around and is, you know, kind of like the de facto commander, I guess, of of the new team of Avengers, I think I would probably pick Doctor Strange. So I would expect, you know, if it were me, I would probably put him in some more cameo roles um, and uh, give him some more movies, but uh, but that's just me. That's a very good uh, idea, actually. So this week ahead is going to be very uh, crazy, potentially, for the world of entertainment, because on Wednesday, July 12th at midnight, the uh, extension agreement with SAG-AFTRA is set to expire. So one of uh, a few things could happen. Either A, the actors will go on strike, B, they reach an agreement, C, they set a new extension and uh, continue to negotiate. Or D, they say, okay, progress has been made enough that we're going to continue to 
negotiate. Now, what's interesting about this is I had heard last week that uh, members of the union have already ordered their strike T-shirts and that they were already um, creating signs. So they are prepared and ready to go. So we will hope for the best. And the reason I mention that is not because we want to do doom and gloom each week about the labor situation in Hollywood. A, it's big news and we need to keep you up with that. And B, it also impacts various things. So one of the big things that could potentially impact is San Diego Comic-Con, which is coming up on uh, July 19th through the 22nd. Now, Michael and I will be there covering. As I mentioned earlier, we have our own panel. Uh, but we've talked about how there is going to be a little bit of a lesser presence. We've heard uh, Marvel, Netflix, Universal, and others are sitting out this year. The big issue is uh, concerns about um, labor because right now the writers can't appear. And if they go on strike, unless there's a waiver, uh, the actors cannot appear because they are not allowed to promote any current or upcoming projects. Now, they can appear as themselves to sign autographs, to moderate panels, do certain things, but it gets to be a little iffy. And, of course, the studios are not committing to large uh, entertainment blocks if they aren't sure what their lineup's going to be. I mean, think about it. Uh, literally, potentially less than a week away from the show, or about a week, they could go on strike and everything could go up in the air. That being said, we have uh, the schedule out through um, Saturday as we record this. The Sunday schedule is going to be coming. And for those that were saying, oh, all doom and gloom, it's actually quite sunny. Uh, we have everything from Thursday, a Paramount Pictures Teenage Mutant, ah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem panel with footage from the filmmakers. Insomniac Games is bringing Marvel's Spider-Man 2 uh, panel out. Uh, Indigo Ballroom is going to be showing off Venture Brothers uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. There's some composer panels that were already set for. There's stuff set for Good Burger 2. Danny Trejo uh, doing Ultra Duck. Um, one of the more interesting ones is we're seeing stuff for Harley Quinn, Ghost, Wheel of Time, Peacock's Twisted Metal series, and What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, Archer, they're supposed to show one of the episodes from the final season. Uh, stuff on uh, Power Rangers and, of course, uh, Captain, uh, not Captain America, but um, Grayskull from He-Man, uh, Muppets Live, you know, and, and I'm just not even going into the numerous fan and group panels that looks out there. Uh, Patton Oswalt's going to be leading a superhero, not so supervillain panel. Um, you got stuff on Between Two Toms. And, you know, gaming side, Nintendo's got stuff. And there's, like, Ghost Space Killer Trivia. There's some Indiana Jones panels. And that's just for Thursday. And like I was telling you guys off uh, camera, when uh, there's stuff about the directors, you have some Walking Dead stuff that is coming. You have uh, some really interesting things uh, from Prime Video's Good Omens. You have a look from Peacock's John Wick. Uh, spin off the Continental. We've been told uh, there'll be something from the boys, uh, their Gen V, which, you know, is on the badge. Uh, Teenage Euthanasia, Metal Apocalypse, Solar Opposites, Rick and Morty, The Great North, 
Bob's Burger, Invincible, Doctor Who, and, you know, it goes on. There's some, uh, plenty of Star Wars stuff about what's coming uh, in the expanded universe for that. There's Patel coming back. There's Dark Horse. DC Comics has a lot of stuff. I know Warner Brothers is going to be uh, be premiering the brand-new Babylon 5 animated film, as well as their upcoming uh, DC superhero film. And, you know, so much. I mean, as I said, the schedule is out at um, various pages, San Diego Comic-Con. There's uh, people that are... Now, this is one that ties in early, guys. You may find this interesting. There's in Hall H on Saturday, and Michael, this is probably one you're going to want to run to. Uh, oh, actually, that's right when we're doing our thing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, a, a legendary entertainment panel. So people think that's going to be Dune Part 2 maybe even the Minecraft uh, film. There's a lot of stuff on upcoming Star Trek. Uh, be interesting to find out what to talk about Prodigy. And then, of course, I'm really curious to see the stuff that's coming with Futurama, American Dad, Family Guy, and much more. They're going to have The Masquerade, Abbott Elementary, uh, Quantum Leap, which I'm happy, Orphan Black Echoes, and, you know, so much more. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There could be some more stuff. Be uh, going to have something on the Lord of the Rings uh, series on Prime Video and more. So, Michael, we'll start off with you. Uh, what are you making of it? So I kind of like something I kind of like about this year that um, a lot of folks don't really get to experience is all the extra, all the panels and the fan panels. Because a lot of times when Marvel's there, and I, I know part of it is camping out for a couple of days as part of the experience. Those folks who are camping out, that's really all they get to see about of SDCC is, you know, uh, you know, other than, you know, somebody stays their, their place in line, they go to some of the other events, um, but they really spend their entire day in, in watching Marvel or whatever and don't really get to experience a lot of it. So I think it's a good opportunity for them, for folks to get an opportunity to explore more about SDCC, go to some of the panels that normally they wouldn't get an opportunity to see um, and, and kind of get a, get a view of what the, the fan side of SCCC is outside of just, you know, the celebrity side and, and seeing, um, you know, I understand the excitement around Marvel and, and again, you know, camping out in, in that experience and, and those folks who enjoy it, but they really do kind of miss out on the rest of the SCCC experience. So I think it's a good opportunity for those folks to, to get a more, a more full view of SDCC, and then next year we'll probably get back to the way things were prior to the pre-pandemic times, um, where we'll, we'll start seeing the Marvel events and the, the camping out and that sort of thing. But you know, begin, you know, again, we're still getting back into things after the pandemic, and I think this is just a good opportunity for maybe pit people's panels who weren't getting a lot of attention because of all the the other stuff going on. They'll get a chance to really shine at this year's SDCC. So I think overall. Um, again, I know there's disappointment with the lack of star power that's going to be there, um, and you know potentially even less depending on how the, the strike goes. But all in all, I think for, from a fan experience, for people getting to experience things together as fans, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, so we'll see how it goes here. And uh, Justin, your talk, please, or your take, please. Yeah, no, I think Michael makes some really great points. I think that'll be a good opportunity for. You know, fans get together and uh, kind of celebrate their different fandoms. So uh, I, I'm curious to see what is there. You know, even just um, Insomniac Spider-Man game. I'm looking forward to that. So 
looking forward to see you know maybe we get to see a little bit more venom um from from that game uh shown off so we'll have to see what what gets announced yeah i think it's going to be interesting because i think uh you know the the week ahead is going to be huge. I can see things uh, being added. I can see things being changed. I could see things, you know, here's a crazy scenario. Imagine they go on strike and let's say for some crazy reason, it's a very short strike, like just a few days and they get something resolved. You could potentially see, I mean, I know there wouldn't be enough time to do this, but I have, I mean, Michael, you've probably seen this too. I've been at Comic-Con in Hall H uh, waiting out, uh, going to interviews, and there would be gaps between the panels. And then all of a sudden, they announce, hey, this isn't on the schedule, but blank is up next, and here it comes. So, you know, this is a place where surprises happen all the time, and it would be very interesting to see um, what the... uh, future is going to hold for this because you know it it, all kinds of things could happen um we heard from the this was as of july 7th the la times is reporting um you know the the it's down to the wire bargaining and they believe um they believe that hollywood's uh biggest union in the alliance for motion picture and television They've made headway since both sides agreed to the extension. They said, um, despite the progress, significant gaps remain between the parties, and it was unclear late Friday whether they can avert a work stoppage next week, which, uh, according to sources with knowledge of the talks, who were not authorized to speak um, publicly. They said they're running out of time to bridge the differences on a host of issues that have cropped up since... Um, negotiations began and they said that the major sticking point appears to be a significant boost in residual payments from streaming platforms and how those are calculated studios have apparently balked at the demand from the union particularly as success would be measured by a third-party firm and because many of the platforms are not yet profitable and so there you go and so you know we'll see Rising tension, though, encouraged because Thursday members were completing a survey detailing how they would like to volunteer for strike duty. And it said they may uh, soon call for a strike to put pressure to give them a fair deal. And so it will be very interesting. So, you know, basically they've made progress, but they have giant hurdles. And like anything, it's going to take um, somebody to step forward and say, "Okay, let's go ahead and move this so let's end this week on a potentially positive note as i said i just got back from a few days at disneyland really enjoyed rogers the musical really enjoyed going around avengers campus again got into disneyland i had only done california adventure uh for last year's boogie boogie bash and they will be resuming tickets to sales this week on that i got into disneyland for the first time since 2019 finally got to see galaxy's edge Got to ride Smuggler's Run, had a fantastic time with that. Uh, Crowded, humid, but we had a great time and got on a lot more than we expected. And uh, to no surprise, I had said to my wife while we were there, I'm very curious if um, 
Bob Iger is going to be able to walk away in a year and a half because it seems like there's still many issues to deal with, including the streaming platform, including the uh, potential labor strike, so on and so forth. And lo and behold, I get back and it appears that sources are saying that he has a very deep love for Disney and he wants to make sure it's handled. Apparently he was rattled very much by the negative things that happened under his uh, predecessor, which is why he came out of retirement. So supposedly he is negotiating a contract extension to continue to run the ship through this uh, storm that they have uh, and ensure that it's handed off properly. Justin, what do you make of that? Yeah, it doesn't shock me a whole lot. Um, you know, he was in charge of Disney on the upswing, so uh, my guess is that he probably wants to uh, to follow through and, and make sure that uh, when he leaves it off, it's, it's going to be um, well handled for a long period of time. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me a lot if, if he's stuck in the role for at least a few more years. And Michael, what do you make of that? Yeah, I agree. I don't think you. I think it takes a little longer than a year or two to write a ship. Not that they were necessarily in trouble, but just to kind of address some of the concerns that there were. So yeah, I would think I would expect you to be around for you know, a little bit longer. Yeah, I, 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 you know, saw that and I just looked at it and said, you're not going to be able to fix this situation because let's assume they don't have further label problems. They get the writers set. Everybody moves forward they still have to work on making streaming profitable they have to address these gigantic films not hitting the numbers at the box office um you know the theme parks are doing well but there's a lot of expansion the cruise liners doing well but they have to look at you know the core things let's make sure the tv's stable and running and that means getting the writers back making the quality shows that they want and above all looking at the streaming side of things and the theatrical and you know moving things forward so it will be an interesting thing and i just looked at it and said yeah a year and a half and then hand it off you can't go back into that uncertainty and you know let's also accept the fact that they've had to do some layoffs and address ways to become more profitable they have seen some uh people leave and there's also been some people some of whom they thought could potentially be successors um, go away, but I, you know, I'll tell you this, as I mentioned, I just got back from the park from top to bottom. I had forgotten just how above and beyond the quality of service you get there is from restaurants to hotels to staff members. We talked with, we had everyone from gardeners coming up and talking with us to, uh, bellhops. And this is not when they were uh, you know, working our bags for a tip or anything like that. People at the front desk making, you know, just simply asking a question about options and then going above and beyond to do something to accommodate you without being asked. That is, you know, the thing. People say, oh, it's expensive. And it's like, yes, it is. Tigers address that. The parks have gotten too expensive. They're trying to figure out a way to address that. But they still make sure you have a premium experience you cannot get anywhere else. One of the biggest things I noticed, again, and you kind of forget things like this, is 
We went through Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad the other day. The level of detail in that attraction is amazing. You go through it, waiting to get to the film and then the ride area. There are cinematic props up there, fake movie posters, concession stands, real popcorn. They put so much attention in giving you things to look at as you go through and out. It truly was an experience, and my greatest regret is that we didn't have more time to uh, do that. We, you know, so we'll see. All right, guys, that is going to do it for us this week. I hope everybody has a very healthy and happy and safe week ahead. And we will talk to you next week, hopefully better news on the Hollywood labor front. And until then, take care.